0: So the other day, uh, I was on my phone. I won't tell you where I was on my phone. But I started to read one of those ridiculous clickbait BuzzFeed articles. Have you ever read one of those? <laughs> Some of you have. I mean, they're like 29 worst case scenarios for dad who drives cars or, you know, like 15 ways to eat popcorn at a movie or whatever. But this one that I read actually kind of jumped out at me because of what we're talking about today. Here's what it was titled. I'm going to try to get it right. 21 former people pleasers are sharing the dumbest thing they've done for someone. That's the name of the article. So here are a couple of my favorites. I think some of these kind of made me squirm. Some of these made me cringe. Some of these made me raise my eyebrows a little bit. Let's see what they do for you. So here's the first one. The night after giving birth, I gave my ex-husband the hospital bed because he was complaining nonstop about how uncomfortable he was in the chair. (laughs) Don't do that. That's my marriage advice for you. Don't do that, okay? Number two. I stayed at a job I hated for years too long because I was afraid if I quit, my boss would hate me. I think that's kind of funny. Here's here's my favorite one, though. I got bitten by a snake while camping, but my dad was in a deep conversation with other campers, and I didn't want to interrupt him. So I walked 300 meters to get my mom and I said, I was bitten by a snake. And if it's not too much trouble, can we go to the hospital? I love that story. But have you ever been in a situation like that? I mean, where you're paying attention to how somebody perceives you, somebody thinks about you. Maybe you even change your behavior to meet their needs or what they would want you to do. Maybe it's a parent who can't please a, a child or maybe it's a, a child that refuses to understand or a friend that gets angry when he doesn't get his way or a coworker that upsets you when she teases you and you just avoid that person at all costs. Do you know someone, do you, you know what they're called? Someone who is a people pleaser? You know anybody? Where, you know, you're paying attention to how that person you know, perceives you and you're changing. I mean, maybe you're the people pleaser. here's here's kind of the definition. A people pleaser is someone who has a really strong desire to please other people, even at their own expense. You know, they they might feel like they like their wants or, or their needs don't matter, or maybe they're just constantly in this tug of war with their feelings and what is healthy and what other people think. See, people pleasing can rule our lives and people pleasing keeps us from doing what is right. It keeps us from the truth at times. It tempts us to compromise our convictions, maybe adhere to whims, of people. It's a spiritual thing because it tempts us to avoid rather than address things in our lives and put other things first. People pleasing doesn't lead toward health or peace like we sometimes act like it does. It's actually pretty destructive. A recent survey of a thousand adults were asked about people pleasing. 49% said that they would self-identify as a people pleaser almost half, 66% said they would go to unhealthy lengths to avoid conflict. So two out of three people, both people on both sides of you right now would go to unhealthy lengths to avoid conflict. See, people pleasing can be a significant part of our lives. It can rule our lives. It can destroy. Our lives, And I'd like to give you an example from somebody who's kind of worked through a little bit of that. His name is Reggie. He's a friend of mine. And he talks about his experience, really, about what it looks like for him and people-pleasing.
1: Hi, my name is Reggie. And back in my earlier days, I used to be a people-pleaser. I spent a good portion of my high school years trying to fit in, uh, trying to be what everybody wanted me to be. And frankly, it was exhausting. I got tired of it, you know, and I started living a life that I would woke up one day and I realized I wasn't even myself. I didn't like who I was, who I became, and trying to just make sure everybody was getting what they wanted. And it still wasn't enough until one day I just felt like I was like, you know what? I've had it. You know, I'm just going to be what God made me to be. I believe what God said I am this is me take it or leave it so uh, over time I just quit trying to satisfy people you know and I just wanted to make myself happy and I found out when I'm happy I make other people happy so I'm no longer a people pleaser I'm actually a person who please people which there's a difference I don't get my value from what I do for others Okay, I get my value from God Okay, and by doing that, if I do what I'm supposed to be doing, I could bless people and that pleases them. You know, so there's a, for me, there's a huge distinction between a person who pleases people and a people pleaser. Just be yourself. God made you who you are. Just believe what he said about you and walk in it. There's freedom in it, you know. It takes away all that bondage that you put yourself under, you know. Always having to be this way with this person. You're bouncing back and forth from one spirit to another. And at the end of the day, you're not happy. So you want to be happy? Be yourself. Be what God made you out to be. And everything else will fall in place. I like being me. I am happy being me and that's it you know is it perfect no you know but you know i am who i am you know and um, and that's it you know so either love me hate me hate me i don't get
0: it. <laughs> you join me in thanking reggie for sharing his story that's pretty cool so you might be thinking, all right, all right, all right, but what does this kind of have to do with church or, or faith? Now we're in a series uh, going through the book of Galatians, and we're calling it Freedom in Jesus, and that's one of the main themes in the book, Freedom in Jesus. And last week, Reed talked about grace and how grace that we don't deserve actually sets us free. And today we're talking about how this grace kind of impacts the realm of our relationships, in particular kind of this people-pleasing part of us. So, specifically, here's kind of the the place that we're jumping off of. Here's kind of the main idea. Because of Jesus, we are set free from pleasing people. Now, I think it's actually understandable that we want people to like us, it's not a bad thing. For people to like us. And we're not talking about trying to love other people well. That's not what we are calling people pleasing. Or trying to be generous. That's not what we're talking about. Or trying to be sacrificial. That's not what we're talking about. Today we're talking about people pleasing. We're talking about this strong desire to please other people at our own detriment and especially spiritually putting them before God. It's the unhealthy version. The version that puts the desires from someone else first, no matter how out of whack it is, no matter how unhealthy they are. The version where we know that one decision is the right decision, but we can't make it because we're afraid of how other people will respond. The version where we change who we are, or we change what we believe, or we change what we do because of another person's opinion, sometimes stranger's opinion. And yes, the Bible does talk about it. I believe it talks about it specifically. So we're gonna pick up where Reed left off last week, Galatians 2. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app or or the the Ridge app, you can kind of follow along. We'll be in Galatians the whole time. So here's kind of a recap. Remember, Paul wrote this letter to real people in a real place in a church in Galatia. And he's kind of going through this timeline to prove that what he has to say is from God. So in, in chapter one of Galatians, he talks about marvelous grace. What a phrase, I love that phrase. But he also talks about meeting with people in Jerusalem and, and what how that went, including Peter, like the disciple Peter, who was with Jesus. So Paul starts to tell this story about when he went to Jerusalem and he went with two other people. He went with a guy named Barnabas and a guy named Titus. And Paul goes to meet with religious leaders in Jerusalem, and he wants to make sure that they're on the same page, that they're unified about what they're teaching about Jesus, and about God, and about what they do. And And they were unified, and Paul and the the church leaders kind of agree, yes, we're on the same page. And Paul mentions a specific example of something that they talked about. This is Galatians 2, 3. And they supported me, Paul, And did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Excuse me, what now? I can I can sense it, the tension in the room, like the fear in the room. You're like Adam. I mean, surely. You're not gonna talk about, you know, I'm not gonna talk about circumcision. The guys are crossing their legs. I mean, okay, okay. It's in the Bible in the Bible, why in the world is this in the Bible? Why would Paul be talking about circumcision? Well, he, he actually tells us, this is verse four. So even that question about circumcision came up only because of some so-called believers. They're false ones, really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and to take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. So we are going to talk about it. We're going to talk about, you know, what it means and why it's important. I'm going to try to not tell too many circumcision jokes or or get too crazy. But here, here we go. What is circumcision? So I drew up some diagrams for you. No, I didn't. no, I didn't. Of course I didn't. But if you don't want your kid asking questions about what's happening, earmuffs right now, okay, for just the next couple of minutes, here's what it is. What is circumcision? Well, it's a surgical removal of the foreskin of a male. I mean, that's just the definition of what it is. If you don't know what that means, ask your dad. (laughs) But here's why it's important. Here's why it's important for us to understand. So in the Old Testament, first part of the Bible, circumcision was required of all of Abraham's descendants as a sign of a covenant with God. It's something that anyone who was a part of kind of God's nation did. That's talked about actually in the first book of the Bible, it's talked about in Genesis 17. And the Jewish people throughout centuries and generation upon generation continued to practice it as a sign of obedience to God. So if you were a guy and Jewish, you were circumcised at the time. And so Paul is in this situation and he's talking to unbelievers about Jesus. They're called Gentiles. A, a Gentile is very simply just somebody who, who isn't Jewish. Jewish people, Gentiles, everybody else. And and they weren't having the, the Jewish background. They didn't follow the, the Jewish laws. And those people at the time were very likely not circumcised. And Paul has these two people with them, right? Barnabas, who had Jewish hair, it is who was circumcised and Titus who wasn't a a Jew who wasn't circumcised. He's uncircumcised. And people in that day were arguing about whether somebody like Titus, a Gentile who came to believe in Jesus, followed Jesus, but wasn't a Jew needed to get circumcised to be saved. So Paul is discussing this with the religious leaders and they agree. no. Getting circumcised is not required. So I want to be very clear, from a spiritual sense, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised. So, fellows, you can stop holding your breath. That's not where the message is going. It's all right. But Paul goes on to say that the leaders had nothing to add to what he was teaching. So the same God for the Jewish people is the same God for the Gentiles. Jesus came to seek and to save and to love them, both circumcised or not so much so that Paul is looked at as an equal as he's reaching the Gentiles, as the people who are trying to reach the Jews, Peter, John, and James, who were disciples of Jesus. So we're going to pick it up in verse 9. So in fact, James, Peter, and John, who are known as pillars of the church, they followed Jesus, their disciples, recognized the gift God had given Paul, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles, while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. So you might be wondering, okay, well, how does that all kind of work? What, what, what does it have to do with, with circumcision and people-pleasing? And I know that that's a little weird and, and awkward, but, but check this out. This is verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who weren't circumcised, who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Why is that important? Well, that's kind of a way to belong. That's a way to interact. And, and as a person who has a Jewish background, they might've been considered unclean to be hanging out with these Gentile uncircumcised people. But really, here's the real reason that Peter did this. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas, who was led astray by their hypocrisy. And I mean, busted. Have you ever kind of been in the act of doing something that maybe isn't the best, best thing to do and, and you just get caught? Well, that's kind of what is happening. Peter was hanging out with these Gentile believers. And then some of his friends came and kind of like a middle schooler, He wouldn't hang out with the other kids anymore. You know, he was afraid. He was afraid of the criticism. He was afraid of the conflict, specifically about those who insisted on the necessity of circumcision if you convert to Christianity. So Paul caught Peter people pleasing. And this version of people pleasing was really about fear. You know, Peter didn't want to be criticized. And, And Paul goes on and proves to Peter, that our faith in Jesus isn't about rules. It's not about laws. It's in the specifically, it's not about circumcision. It's it's about Jesus. And it's about what Jesus makes us right in the eyes of God because of what he did on the cross, not rituals or or traditions or anything like that. And Paul describes it kind of like this. This is verse 19. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. And just like that, kind of Paul helps us not just to understand that we don't need to be circumcised to follow Jesus. He addresses the hypocrisy that comes along with changing what you do, changing who you are, changing what you believe because of people pleasing. Have you ever done that? I mean, I have. Have you ever changed your behavior when somebody walks into the room? Sometimes uh, people find out that I'm a pastor and they immediately apologize. And I don't know if they're apologizing because I'm a pastor or because of their behavior. I don't know, but it, it, it kind of gives me a chuckle like knowing what I would do or, or who I am, you know, changes anything, right? But we do this, don't we? It kind of makes sense to us. We change our behavior sometimes and sometimes for good reasons and and sometimes for unhealthy reasons. So here's kind of the question that is under all all of what we've been talking about so far. Who are you trying to please? See, I think people pleasing is more about who than what you do. Who are you trying to please? So when you're doing something, when you're deciding something, when you're thinking about something, when you're struggling through something, whatever, ask yourself kind of this question and be honest with what I'm doing, who am I trying to please? What's my motivation? Why am I doing this? And I think there are actually three typical answers to this. Who am I trying to please? Well, maybe I'm trying to please myself. Maybe I'm trying to please other people or maybe I'm trying to please God. You know, kind of the the churchy answer. So let's break it down. Are you trying to please yourself with selfish desires? When I say it that way, who's gonna be like, I am? Like, of course not. Of course we're not gonna do this. But why do you do what you do? Have you ever thought about it? I mean, you can really think about it in any aspect of your life. What motivates you the most? What satisfies you the most? What disappoints you? What do you complain the most about? What worries you the most? Where do you go when you're happy or when you're hurting? What infuriates you? These are all kind of questions about your heart, about your motivation, about what matters to you. Who are you trying to please? Please. And if you can't remember the last time that you did something where you weren't trying to please yourself or somebody else, you trying to please God, that should give you a little bit of pause. Who are you trying to please? And sometimes we're trying to please ourselves with our selfish desires, but sometimes we're trying to please others. And in the case of that people pleaser, you do what you do. I do what I do because I desperately want another person to do something, to respect us, to like us, to love us, to respond to us, to show us affection, whatever that is. And this is is pretty important. If you're trying to please people, you listening? We can't do it. It's impossible to do all the time. So so try to identify. Oftentimes we make decisions that are not in our own interest or, or worse yet might be against what God desires for us, what might be against what's best for us because we place something else over God. We're trying to please them. We make decisions so somebody will like us and we allow those moments to rob us actually Of our joy and our peace. It's bondage. Here's some examples. This isn't exhaustive, but these are kind of examples of people pleasing. We holler at our kids because we're more worried about what the other parents think than we are about what's right for our kids. Or maybe we don't holler at our kids because we're worried about what somebody else is gonna say about that. We can't live up to the expectations of everybody. We lie to our parents or we lie to our teachers or we lie to our friends because we're worried that they won't respond in the right way. So we're trying to kind of find the right response or we care deeply about how other people are gonna respond to us like on social media and we start counting likes and it does impact us if somebody likes something ten times or a hundred times. We start to find value in the wrong things, and we get bent out of shape when somebody confronts us. Even if it's their job to give us feedback, we're like, don't do that, don't tell me what to do. Or we avoid conflict. Even if they're right, even if they're wrong, we don't want anything to do with it. Even if they're strangers and we go throughout our day and we think about like, oh my goodness, they said this thing about the thing that I did and I can't believe it and, and, and why do I care about this? See, people pleasing is not healthy, especially when it supersedes God's place in our lives. People pleasing is idolatry. It's worshiping what somebody else thinks of us. And instead, when you're asking, who am I trying to please? The, the answer is hopefully, well, I'm trying to please God. And Paul actually talks about it pretty directly. This is Galatians 1.10, even before this story that he told. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. I could stop right there. My goodness, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. And if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. See, we can't serve other people and God at the same time. It can't be more direct than that, can it? I mean, the approval of people pales in comparison with the approval of God. And if pleasing people is the main goal, what's that phrase? We need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. So what are we saying? We are called to try and do our best to please God, not people. Now, how do we please God? Well, we do our best to put him first. And I want to be clear, we can't do that perfectly. It's not about doing it perfectly. There's grace that we don't deserve, which we're talking about a lot in this series. And that's what Reed talked about last week, that we need to receive God's grace, that it's unmerited. It's not something that we can earn. But if we love God, we're also called to do our best to follow him, to obey him, to live our lives with a goal of putting him first in every single area. So like Paul is saying, if people are number one, Jesus can't be number one. Our goal is to please God, to do our best to follow him. And when we follow God, when we try to put him first, a couple of things kind of follow that. And let's talk about a few of those. So when we please God, we're free to have enemies as long as we love them. Do you think about that a lot? You're like, I'm glad I have enemies Yeah, me either, of course not. But if we follow Jesus, we're bound to have opposition. And Paul, who loves Jesus with his whole heart, argues with Peter, who loves Jesus with his whole heart. Now they weren't enemies, but there was conflict and conflict is not the problem. If we follow Jesus, there will be people who don't agree with us. There will be people who don't agree with us if we follow Jesus. It's part of it. And honestly, as followers of Jesus, we kind of avoid it at all costs and act like that's the most loving thing to do. And if we never have conflict, that should stop us in our tracks because that's not the goal. What's the goal? Well, conflict-free life is not the goal. Putting Jesus first is the goal. Guys know who Winston Churchill is? You heard of him? British leader, World War II guy. I mean, I'm over 30, so I love World War II. It was just part of it. But he has this quote I love. It's a short one. It's really good. This is what he said. You have enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. Wow. See, if you have opposition because you are pleasing God, because you are putting God first, if there's conflict in your life because of putting God first, that's okay, that's even necessary. We're called to love our enemies, we're called to put them first even, and that's good, but we aren't really called to completely avoid all conflict or opposition. So if pleasing people is our main goal, we can't put Jesus first, we can't be Christ's servant. We cannot please people and please God. So here's kind of another thing that happens when we start putting God first. When we please God, we are free from the need to be perfect or right. Don't elbow the person with you. I know you're thinking about it. Don't do it. So I'm gonna ask you to repeat this after me. It's a simple phrase, but I think it's important. I'm going to say, I cannot please everyone. And then you're going to just repeat that with me, okay? Say it with me. I cannot please everyone. I'm going to do it again because like half of you didn't do it, okay? So we're going to do it again. I cannot please everyone, especially my wife. No, that's not, that's not, that's not. (laughs) She clapped in first service, I think. So that that was a fun thing for me. What's the point? You will mess up you will. You'll make mistakes. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to pursue being perfect. You don't have to be right. And if somebody tells you that you're not right, that's okay because Jesus took care of that. That doesn't mean we don't give things our best shot, but it does mean we are free from this deep need that we have to be perfect and right all the time. Confession time. Sometimes I get up here on this stage and I talk and I walk off stage and I think to myself, wow, that was bad. Like my goodness, that was terrible. And maybe it was and maybe it wasn't. That's not what God is asking of me. God wants me to give it my best but my best will never be perfect and neither will yours. I will always have room to grow. I will always have room to improve. Perfect is not the goal and being right all the time is not the goal and getting someone to say, hey, you did a great job is not the goal. And this is the perfect week for me to say to you, like when somebody comes up to me and is like, hey, great job, Like, don't do that today because this is about people pleasing, okay? But somebody needs to hear this. We refuse to accept the grace of God because somebody is mad at us or somebody thinks we did something or we did do something or we didn't live up to expectations or, or we're, we're struggling with all that. And that's life. And it happens. It's okay. See, God is not surprised by our sin. He's not. He knows. God knows that we need his grace, but we need to accept that we don't deserve the grace in the first place. We fall short. We mess up. That's the whole point Of Jesus because of Jesus we are set free from pleasing people any people including ourselves and Paul brings it home and he says the only way forward is to trust in Jesus and if I had to make every right decision or every person's whim or there would be no need for Jesus But when we seek God, we seek his approval. It's also accepting that I can't do it on my own and I can't do enough for you. Only in Jesus am I set free. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, I am set free. Here's how Paul describes it in Galatians 2. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. That is incredibly powerful. See, the point is when we put anything else in front of God, anything we do even for God, we're putting anything else in front of God and trying to do our best to respond to who he is, it's a sin and it's a mess. And when we say we have to please everyone else, it's dangerous. And when we say we have to live perfectly, it's dangerous because it treats the grace of God as it's meaningless. So how do you stop people pleasing? And the answer is not like here, are the five ways you know, to stop. I know that we do that sometimes and that's a good thing to do at times, but it's really what we've been talking about the whole time. And that's kind of the point. It's putting Jesus first and not being motivated by anything else, what we want, what other people want, but by pleasing God, by surrendering to him. See, Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. Maybe you've heard that before, maybe you haven't for a long time, but Paul is saying that pretty clearly. See, I believe that since Jesus died for where we fall short for our sin, he set us free from people-pleasing because people-pleasing is idolatry. It puts someone else in front of God. And Jesus set us free from having to find our affirmation or our identity or value in people and what people think of us because people will let us down. But because of the cross, we know that we are a child of God and that we're loved by God, that we're actually cherished by God, that we're created by God in His image. And God says that I am those things, not any of you, not even myself. He set us free from being perfect. He set us free, not because of any law, not because of anything we can do, Not because we're circumcised or uncircumcised. He set us free because of his grace. That we can seek to please him, but we will fall short. And he loves us anyway. And he is for us. And he chooses us. And we please him because of our love. Because he loves us first. So, who are you trying to please? The next time you're making a decision, the next conflict you're about to get into or maybe you're about to avoid, the next time you're caught in your head or you're caring more about being liked or more about your motivation being in something else, ask the question, who are you trying to please? Because if you please God and because of Jesus, we are set free from pleasing people. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I I admit to you that this is something that a lot of people, including myself, deal with, and we don't always see it. I don't always see it. So today, right now, I just ask for you to help us see it. Help us see where we are putting other motivations in front of putting you first. And if we're trying to please other people in ways that don't honor you, that don't put you first, that don't keep our focus on you. Help us with that. We surrender that to you right now. Help us know who we are trying to please and help us get step by step and step closer to trying to please you with everything that we do in every area of our lives, relationally, like we're talking about today, but every area, financially, socially, mentally, spiritually, with our time, with our effort, whatever it is, that we would keep our eyes so focused on you and know that we can't earn it. We don't deserve it, but you give it anyway. And because of who you are, you tell us that we are loved, but not just loved, valued. And not just valued, created by you for a purpose. And it's in your love that we can respond to you and try to put you first. Because you put us first first. It's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.